Good morning, Grace. Turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6. We're finishing our series in the book of Galatians, which we've, I've entitled Joy Killers. So I hope that you have seen areas in your life where your joy in Christ has been killed because of your focus upon yourself and your performance and not upon Jesus. So we're finishing Galatians today. Next week, Pastor Greg will be preaching. Um, I will be at a pastor's conference in Minnesota so you can pray for me. Um, because I don't do cold well at all. And it's been negative something and wind chill, like negative 30, so pray for me. Then the following week on February 9th, Lord willing, we'll begin a new series in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, looking at what does it mean to be the people of God? What does it mean to be the city of God? How do we live in our own city and be the alternative society that shines a light into our world to say, come to Jesus and find peace? So that's, Lord willing, what we're going to be doing in the next few weeks. So let's pray once more and we'll begin. Father, thank you for your great love your steadfast love that you delight to show in all the earth. You delight to show to your people, your covenant people, those who are in covenant with you in union with your son, Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you as I was reading his words in John 15 this morning. He said, my joy will be in you and your joy will be full. And then in John 16, Father, Jesus said, no one will take your joy from you, God. So as we've looked at joy killers Father, I pray that you would once again stoke the fires of our heart, that our joy may be in you, and that you would get glory as we tell the world that you are our treasure. So I pray with the psalmist this morning, Father, send out your light and truth. Let them lead us to the holy hill of God, to the altar of God, to God our exceeding joy. Oh God, stoke the fires of our hearts that we could leave here today and say, you are our exceeding joy. We pray this by the Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's talk about fonts today. I like fonts. I have my favorite fonts And you probably do too. The font that I use for my sermon manuscripts is 8-point Verdana. In case some of you are sitting out there wondering, like, I wonder what font and what font size Pastor Benji uses for his sermon manuscripts. Well, there you go. Now you know. 8-point Verdana. Maybe you noticed the font of our new logo and bulletin. Did you notice the new logo and the new bulletin this week? We're using Eames Century Modern Book and Gotham bold fonts, in case some of you are wondering, oh, I wonder what fonts these are. Well, there you go. So a quick word about our new logo. If you'll see, I want you to notice the emphasis of discipleship that is captured in our new logo. You'll see those are branches that are branching out with fruit on the end. You see that in the main logo and then there at the bottom. This is to remind us that we are to be busy making disciple, making disciples. We're to continue growing and passing on the faith and discipling people. But those branches also root us, no pun intended, with our city. The branches and the fruit remind us that we are connected to our city and to the central coast. And what is one unique feature of our city and the Central Coast? It's the abundance of agriculture. 
that we are surrounded by farming and crops. So our new logo will keep it fresh before our eyes that we are to be a church that is busy loving and working for the good of our city. Now, back to my sermon manuscript and the fonts that I use. It's probably because this is what is used in the collected works of one of my heroes. One of my heroes was a tall, lanky, emaciated man who wore knickers and a powdered wig. That's one of my heroes. His name, Jonathan Edwards. And one of my life goals is to read everything that Jonathan Edwards has written. But it is a difficult and arduous task because the font is so small in the collected works of Jonathan Edwards. Here, let me show you. In, in the books that I'm reading, there's a penny, you can tell. That's probably a negative, uh, like size 12 font there. You can see. And there are seven lines, I believe, within one penny. So you get a picture of how small the font is in the collected works of Jonathan Edwards. There's, here's a picture of what the actual book looks like. So you can imagine that font in this book. But guess what? This is volume one. There are two volumes. So I have a long way to go, and I've just barely scratched the surface on reading all of the written works by my hero. But I have another hero to help balance out Jonathan Edwards, and this hero is the Apostle Paul, and what he wrote letters in the font size that he used was large. That's what he tells us in Galatians chapter 6, verse 11. We'll read it in just a moment, but first, here's our big idea today. If you love Jesus with all of your heart, people will hate you with all of their guts. That's the big idea of this section as Paul closes out the letter to the Galatians. So let me explain. When I say that if you love Jesus with all of your heart, then people will hate you with all of their guts, understand two things about that statement. First, understand that you don't always love Jesus with all of your heart. That's just the truth. You're a sinner and you choose sin over Jesus all the time. You do and I do. That's the struggle between the flesh and the spirit that we saw two weeks ago in Galatians chapter five. So when I speak of loving Jesus with all of your heart, this is what I mean. Is Jesus your treasure? Is he your delight? Does he satisfy you above all worldly pleasures? Is he your everything. When Jesus is your treasure, when he is your delight, when he is your everything, then people will hate you with all of their guts. That's the first thing to understand about this statement. The second thing to understand is that I don't mean that every single person that hears that Jesus is your treasure will really hate you from the bottom of their guts. When I say that people will hate you, I'm just echoing Jesus' words in Mark 13, 13, when he said, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. I don't mean that every person who is not a believer will be full of vitriol for you because of Jesus. Some will. Some will hate your guts because you love Jesus. Others may be some very nice, upstanding citizens that just put up with you because Jesus is your treasure. 
But when you love Jesus with all of your heart and you are boasting in his work for you and not your work for him, then that truth will bother some people. Sinful and rebellious human beings do not want to be told that they need a savior, that they need to be saved from the coming wrath of God. Sinful and rebellious people don't want to be told that they need saving and that they can't save themselves. So when you tell them that, when you share the gospel with them, they will not like it. So that's what I mean when I say, if you love Jesus with all of your heart, people will hate you with all of their guts. And I think that's what Paul is reminding the Galatians of as he closes out this letter to the Galatian churches. So look at verses 11 and 12 with me. Hear the word of the Lord. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want... uh, to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Now, let me show you the connection here between loving Jesus and being hated by the world. Why does Paul have to write with such large letters? Why does he even care about font sizes? Why does he even mention the fact that he has to write with such large letters? I think Paul is writing with large letters, first of all, so that he could actually see what he was writing. And I think the reason was because Paul had bad eyesight. And I think the reason that Paul had bad eyesight was because of his frequent persecutions and physical beatings for the gospel. And I think that's why he even mentions how large his letters are, to draw attention to the fact And to remind the Galatians that he suffered precisely because he loved Jesus with all of his heart. Acts chapter 14 verses 19 through 22 describes one such situation where Paul loved Jesus with all of his heart and people hated him with all of their guts. Acts 14, 19. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. He also tells us about his numerous beatings in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, I've been through far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings. He lost track and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned with stones. I think it was through the many persecutions of Paul that his eyesight went south. And that's why he has to write with such large letters. And that's why he said what he said in Galatians 4.15 when he told the Galatians, you loved me so much you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Galatians 4.15, he says, what then has become of your blessedness or joy? 
For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. So by mentioning the fact that he has to use such big letters to write his letter, Paul is just reminding the Galatians that if you love Jesus with all of your heart, people will hate you with all of their guts. And this is exactly what was happening in the Galatian churches. Do you remember the false teachers that crept into the Galatian churches? The Judaizers, they were telling the Galatians, who were predominantly Gentiles, that they had to be circumcised and come back under the Mosaic law in order to stand righteous and blameless before God. In order to gain favor with God and maintain that favor with God. To these false teachers, the Judaizers, circumcision, the old sign of the covenant, was needed. And one reason the Judaizers pushed circumcision was because they did not want to be persecuted. They did not want to endure what Paul had endured for the gospel. Look at verse 12 again. It is those, the Judaizers, who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Many of the beatings that Paul received in the book of Acts came at the hands of Jewish people who did not believe that Jesus was the promised Messiah. So whenever they got wind that Gentiles were not being circumcised, then intense persecution would unfold. And that's why Paul's mentioned persecution throughout this letter. In Galatians 4, verse 28, Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. He's saying Jewish people who don't believe in Jesus are persecuting you Gentiles just like it used to be. And in Galatians 5.11, but if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. The Judaizers wanted to see the Galatians embrace circumcision, the old sign of the covenant, so that they could boast, so that they could glory in circumcision and escape persecution. But Paul points out the absurdity of it all. Look at verse 13. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. It is absurd in Paul's thinking for the Judaizers to push to see the Galatians get circumcised because the Judaizers themselves cannot keep the law of God perfectly. They're trying to get the Galatians to come back under the law, and Paul's saying, you Judaizers can't even keep the law perfectly. Paul has shown us throughout this whole letter in the book of Galatians that no one can keep the law of God perfectly. He has shown us that we are all born sinners and rebels and that we are all under the curse of the law. That's the bad news that always accompanies the good news of the gospel. And the good news of the gospel is this, that Jesus obeyed the law perfectly for us. Jesus lived the life that we could never live. And he died the death that we all deserve. And when that truth grips your heart, Jesus becomes your treasure, your delight. And that's exactly 
what happened to Paul. Remember, he was a self-righteous Pharisee, but now his boast was not in his own perfect record that he thought he had. His boast now, his glory, his exaltation was now in Jesus Christ. Look at verses 14 through 15. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Paul is basically saying, it is foolish to boast in anything other than the cross of Jesus. Why? Because for Paul, it is through the cross that he has died to this world. And what he means is that when he was united to Jesus by faith at his conversion, then it was as if he died with Jesus. So Paul's union with Jesus means that Jesus paid the penalty for his sin. Jesus took the curse of the law upon himself for Paul. So it would be crazy for Paul to boast or to glory or to exult or to delight in anything in his life except the cross of his Savior. The Judaizers, on the other hand, boasted in their self-righteousness. Paul knew that if you boast in your self-righteousness, then you are still under the curse of the law. And that's why Paul boasts in the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, Paul is saying, I died with him. I died to this world and I am dead to this world. Paul's union with Jesus Christ is his passion now. For Paul, it's all about Jesus' work for him and not his works for Jesus. For Paul, what counts is being made new in Christ. Circumcision means nothing. Uncircumcision means nothing to Paul. He's all about the cross. What matters now is a new creation. Are you born again? That's what matters. And that's why Paul focuses on the cross. And let me add that that is why the cross is front and center here at Grace. This is our focus, Grace. This sign, this cross, screams out to us every time we walk into this sanctuary, Christian, it screams out to you that you have been united to Jesus Christ in his death. It screams out to you that he took the curse of the law upon himself for you, Christian. We are in union with him and nothing can separate us from him. We died with him when he died. The curse of the law, Christian, no longer hangs over you. It no longer hangs over me. That cross is the sign of our freedom. That cross screams out to us every time we walk in the sanctuary that we are a free people. We are no longer under the curse of the law because Jesus took the curse on the cross for us. So let me ask you today, is the cross your passion? Is Jesus your treasure Does he bring more delight to your heart than anything in this world? Do you, when you're just sitting there, does your mind naturally drift to him? When you're sitting at the stoplight, where does your mind naturally drift? 
Does it drift to him? Is he your treasure? Is he your passion? For Paul, the cross was it. It was his life. It was his passion. It was his boast. So let me ask you once again, is the cross your passion? If it is, let me give you a warning. The cross is offensive. That cross is offensive. And that's why it needs to be front and center in this room. And it needs to be where our eyes are drawn and focused and fixated every week when we come into this sanctuary. But remember, it is offensive. And that's why if you love Jesus with all of your heart, people will hate you with all of their guts. People in Paul's day and people today do not want to be told that they are sinners in desperate need of a savior. What is good news to some people is bad news to others. They hate the cross, but to every believer, that cross is a reminder that we are in union with Jesus and that we are dead to this world. In fact, Paul told the Philippians, Philippians chapter three, verses 18 through 20, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our citizenship, Grace, is tied to the cross, the offensive cross, and not to some flag and not to some country. We align ourselves with the brutal, bloody death of the Son of God on our behalf. And the message that we preach, that we cling to, the gospel, is very offensive. The gospel is, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, to some people, it is the smell of decomposed bodies. For we are the aroma of Christ to God, among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing, to one a fragrance from death to death, to the other, a fragrance from life to life. If you love Jesus with all of your heart, people will hate you with all of their guts. You will be hated for following Jesus. Kids, listen up, because you'll probably see it in your lifetime if I don't see it in mine. You will be hated for following Jesus. Jesus Christ. Persecution will come in some form today and 50 years from now. Paul experienced it at all levels and that's why he prays what he does for the Galatians and when he prays for all Christians in verse 16. Look at verse 16. And as for all who walk by this rule, this boasting in this cross, this treasuring Jesus above all things, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. 
Paul is praying here for all believers who trust in Jesus, that boast in Jesus, that delight in Jesus, that they would experience God's peace and God's mercy. Paul is praying for the church here, those who have died to the world, those who are now in union with Jesus, that they would experience God's peace and God's mercy. But why? Why is Paul praying this? Paul is praying for them to experience God's peace and God's mercy precisely because Paul knows if they boast in the cross, then they will experience persecution. Paul knows and he knew how the Jews in his day had persecuted and beat and stoned him. He knew firsthand what that was like. In fact, that's why he says what he says in verse 17. Look, from now on, let no one cause me trouble for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Paul knew what it was to bear in his body the marks of Jesus. He was beaten. He was whipped. He was stoned with stones and left for dead. Why? Simply because he believed and boasted in the cross. He simply believed that Jesus bore the curse for him on the cross and that Jesus paid it all. And for that, he was beaten and whipped and stoned. And he knew that that was what lay in the future for the Galatians if they boasted in the cross. So he prays that they would experience God's peace and God's mercy. Paul prays for God's peace so that it would get them through every persecution, every beating, every stoning, every imprisonment. And Paul prays for God to be merciful to them as they boast in the cross and experience persecution. Paul's saying, oh God, give them your peace because when they look at your son and they treasure him above all things, the world is going to hate it and they're gonna be beaten and they're gonna be whipped and they're gonna be persecuted and gonna be thrown in prison. Oh God, give them peace and oh God, be merciful to them. Oh God, have mercy on them as they experience persecution because they're in union with your son and because they love your son more than anything in this world. Oh God, have mercy on them. But then notice the prayer that Paul ends this letter with. Look at verse 18. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Now Paul typically ends his letters with this blessing, some form of grace to you, grace be with you. In a few of his letters, though, he actually uses this phrase here. He says, grace be with your spirit. He does it in Philippians 4. Second Timothy chapter four and in the book of Philemon. In each letter where Paul says, grace be with your spirit, there is a theme in each of those letters of imprisonment and persecution. In Philippians, Paul is writing from jail. He's imprisoned for the gospel and he tells the Philippians in chapter one, not to get startled because of persecution, He uses the Greek word that was used of horses that would get startled. He says, don't be startled by persecution. In fact, he tells them in Philippians 1.29, God has not only gifted you or graced you with salvation, he has also gifted you and graced you with suffering. But then in 2 Timothy, Paul tells Timothy in chapter 1, not to be ashamed of the gospel. And then chapter 2, but to share in suffering for the gospel like a good soldier. 
And then in Paul's letter to Philemon, he writes as a prisoner for the gospel. And he mentions his imprisonment and being a prisoner five times in that very short book. So every time that Paul prays at the end of one of his letters, grace be with your spirit, he is in prison suffering for the gospel and writing to people who were and would be suffering for the gospel. So what does that mean? What does it mean, grace be with your spirit? Let me explain. We are made up of two parts as human beings, the material and the immaterial. The material is our body, our flesh, our bones. The immaterial is our spirit. We're made up of body and spirit or body and soul, if you like, if you like that word. Paul prays here that grace would be given to the Galatians' spirits. Why? Why not grace to your body and spirit? Why not grace to your body and soul? Why just grace to their spirits, the immaterial part of them? I think the answer is that Paul knew that persecution and sufferings and trials and beatings and stonings and imprisonment and martyrdom were in the future for these Galatian Christians. I think that Paul knew that they would suffer physically for the gospel. So Paul doesn't pray for physical stamina for these times of persecution. Paul doesn't pray that they would be able to endure the beatings. He knows that they may actually die after a stoning, after a beating. He knows that they may be beheaded. They may get their heads cut off. He knows they may be martyred for Jesus. So Paul doesn't pray for safety or escape because he knows that is not an option. God may spare their life physically, but he doesn't pray for their physical bodies to stay pieced together during a beating or a stoning. Paul prays instead for their spirits that they would have internal stamina to endure persecution. He wants them to have strong hearts that don't back down and that don't deny Jesus. Paul prays that God would give them grace and strength and stamina and endurance in their inner part, in their spirit, so that when they are physically accosted, they will be able to stand, even though their body may fall to the ground. You see, Paul knows from firsthand experience, if you love Jesus with all of your heart, People will hate you with all of their guts. Paul knows from firsthand experience that when you boast in the cross and Jesus Christ is your treasure, then you just may bear in your body the marks of Jesus. Paul knows firsthand that following Jesus means that you will be hated. And that's why he told the Galatians, In verse 11, see with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Paul had to write with large letters because his eyes were so bad, because he boasted in the cross and people didn't like that he was boasting in the cross and they beat him and whipped him and stoned him. And that's why his eyes were bad. Paul knows firsthand that to boast in Jesus means you run the risk of having your face kicked in so that your eyes go bad. Paul knows firsthand that following Jesus means being stoned and hit with rocks 
that it messes up your eyes. Paul knows firsthand that they might leave you for dead after they beat you. But Paul also knows what a blessing it is to be united to Jesus. Paul knows that it is a blessing to have to write with such big letters. Paul knows that it is a blessing to have to use a large font to type his letter to the Galatians. Why? Because he's in union with Jesus. Because Jesus is his treasure. So Paul says, see with what large letters I write. The reason I write with large letters is because I love Jesus. And the reason I can't see is because they don't like that I love Jesus and they've beaten me and kicked my face in and stoned me, but it is a blessing to write with such large letters to you because I'm telling you that Jesus is my treasure. And the whole reason that Paul is even writing this letter to the Galatian churches is because they lost that sense of blessedness that Paul had. They lost that sense of of joy. We'll read it again. Galatians 4:15. What then has become of your blessedness or joy? For I testify you that if possible you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Paul wrote the Galatian churches to ask them, what in the world happened to your joy? Who killed your joy? You had your eyes focused on Jesus. You were obsessed with him and his work for you and not your works. You weren't trying to gain favor with God through how good you are. You weren't trying to maintain your favor with God through how good you are. You just simply fell back on Jesus and said he paid it all. And Paul says, what happened to that joy? What happened to that sense of blessedness? Who killed your joy? You see, any time disciples get their eyes off of Jesus, it will kill your joy. Joy killers are lurking everywhere. They are monsters who love to kill the joy that believers have in Jesus. So what about you today? I don't expect you to love God with all your heart because you can't. I can't. Only Jesus loved God with all of his heart. But do you love him today? Do you love him with all of your weak, sinful, always failing, but always forgiven heart? Do you boast in Jesus' works or yours? Let me ask you, what is the font size of your joy in Jesus today? Is he your treasure? Do you boast in him? Do you glory to him? Do you exult in him? Or is your font size a little bitty tiny thing? Nobody even knows I love Jesus. Or is it big? And you say, I don't care what they think of me. I don't care if I lose that promotion. I love him. I have everything I need. What's the font size of your joy in Jesus today? Do you boast in the cross? Do you write joyfully with large letters in your life? When you blow it and screw up, do you write with large letters over all your failures? Jesus paid it all. I'm forgiven. There is no condemnation. I'm free. Go big with your fonts, Grace. Tell the world that you love him. Tell the world that you love him because he still loves you when you don't love him with all of your heart. Increase the font size of your joy 
and tell the world that Jesus is your treasure because he loves you. Screwed up, messy, sinful, failure, but absolutely loved and adored you. But when you go big with your font of joy in Jesus, understand this, you will be persecuted and blessed. Jesus said in Matthew chapter five, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you. Rejoice and be glad. Peter said in 1 Peter 3, if you suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. He also said in chapter 4, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Do you love him today? Can you say with the psalmist from Psalm 4 today, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. Can you say that, Jesus? I have more joy than Donald Trump, who has lots of money, and Bill Gates, lots of money. Their wine and their grain is abounding, but Jesus, I have more joy than they have because I'm in union with you, because you're my treasure, because you're my delight. Can you say that today? That's what it means to boast in the cross, to say, Jesus, you satisfy me. Because only you satisfied the demands of the law for me. You lived the life I could never live. You died the death I deserve. And you did that all for me so that I could find my joy in you. And so that you would get the glory. May that become true of us. May we as a church family, as a church body, truly exist to ignite a passion in every person to glorify and enjoy God everywhere and in everything. I want to close by reading a prayer I read by Puritan Richard Baxter this morning and a hymn O sacred head now wounded. Richard Baxter said, My Lord, I have nothing to do in this world but to seek and serve thee. I have nothing to do with a heart and its affections but to breathe after thee. I have nothing to do with my tongue and pen but to speak to thee and for thee and to publish thy glory and thy will. And the first stanza of the hymn, O sacred head, now wounded. O sacred head, now wounded, with grief and shame weighed down, now scornfully surrounded with thorns, thine only crown. O sacred head, what glory, what bliss till now was thine, yet though despised and gory, I joy to call thee mine. To look at a bloody, brutal death of the eternal Son of God and to see how gory it is and to say, I joy to call thee mine. May that be true of us. Let's pray. Father, we live to publish your glory.
And we do that most when we say that you are our treasure. So would you help us to do that today, God? Father, we joy to call your son ours. I joy to call him mine. Brutal, bloodied, gory, hanging on the cross and taking the curse of the law for his elect people that he came to save. Oh God, may we joy to call the cross ours today. May we boast and leave here today saying Jesus is our everything. Jesus is our treasure. Jesus is the one I exult in. Jesus is the one I glory in. I don't care if the world hates me. Jesus, I love you. May we leave here today loving Jesus with all of our weak, frail, sinful hearts, knowing that he loves us when we don't love him, Father. May we leave here today saying that Jesus is my all in all for your glory and for our joy. Do it by the Spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.